Welcome to a very special Compassion Radio 360. It's week three of our Advent season. Sandy, welcome back to the microphone. Thanks. It's great to be back and talking about my favorite time of year. We've got a big story today, so Mm -hmm. we're not going to spend a lot of time with preamble, but we wanted to recap a couple of important things. Since we're doing something special this year with our Advent season and not doing just a teaching series, we're doing a dramatic reading, a storytelling involving the lives of those who lived it out. The story of the Advent is about persons experiencing the real Jesus. Mm-hmm. We'd love for you to have a copy of that, and each week we post a guide to the series. We post some interesting ideas you might want to do as a family activity. You might want to do an Advent wreath yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, the story that we're going to read for you today. Well, this week is the third week of Advent, so we want to focus on what that means. The candle this week is pink, and it symbolizes joy, mm-hmm. and it's also called the shepherd's candle, which go. will go right along with the story that we're reading about a young shepherd today. Before we get into the story, I'm going to read from the book of Luke, chapter 2. And it's been part of our tradition as a family for years and years, and I think many of our generation learned it from watching the Peanuts Christmas special and watching (laughs) Linus read the story from Luke, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in snugly cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the lodging place. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord Christ, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in snugly cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem straightway and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. After seeing him, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. And with that, we offer you a special Advent reading of the story of the shepherd. The Shepherd, a Christmas story. Benjamin's jaw ached. It did that a lot now, especially since the weather had turned. He pressed the tip of his tongue into the socket where his eye tooth was missing. It pushed out the scar on the lip above, beginning another dull pain. Benjamin felt a lot older than his twenty years. 
He shifted to his side to give his hip a rest. He thought to himself, David Blade is harp to keep his mind off his hind side, too, I suppose. The tumbling hills below Bethlehem were certainly no more comfortable in David's day. It was the last watch and the darkest of the night. Benjamin's eyes had fully adjusted to the unpolluted darkness. He could see the sheep and their starlight shadows. Some stirred, but most were still. The strange convergence of stars above seemed to be growing in intensity and continued to disturb the shepherd. For weeks the strange and undoubtedly bad omen had assembled itself in the sky. And now? The greens, blues, and reds were converging into a colorless light, almost like the startling flash of midday sunlight on the tops of rolling waves. He'd seen that once up in Galilee, when a storm from Jordan stirred the sea from afar. The waters had seemed almost alive and certain of themselves, driving mystery, light, and darkness of depth his way. Why did this strange new star remind him of that? Benjamin looked back down to his group's flock. He caught sight of the one lamb he felt most responsible for, the one he dreaded most. He drifted away to the memories of one terrible day, the one to which his jaw and lip gave testament. Come to Bethlehem and see. Come with me, Benjamin, his father boomed. Today is the day. Even the Romans won't steal the Day of Atonement from us, even if they steal all the rest. We must head for Jerusalem now before the crowds make it impassable. Benjamin carried the lamb out of the cave for the last time. Until today, it was the property of his family, along with the inn above it. But the Roman tax seizure was now complete. This inn is the place where Samuel himself rested before crowning David king, protested the part-time shepherd and master of the inn. His voice was full of fiery pride and desperation as he watched the soldiers dumping their belongings in the street. There was nothing that could be done to stop this injustice. No one to hear the appeal. Issachar made his complaint to the passerby traffic anyway. The turncoat tax agent receiving the keys from the centurion sneered back at him. We have no king but Caesar, or have you been following the news? Herod the Great, you mean? mocked Issachar. Or has Caesar abolished the last of our government? Of course, trickled back the answer from the tax collector, steeped in sickening sweetness like usual. His reply was specifically vague. One could read it a couple of ways. Issachar grabbed his remaining belongings and stormed out. Benjamin's mother hid on the side of the building, crying her own disappointment. Benjamin handed the leads of the animals to his father and quickly came to his mother's side. The centurion stationed by the corner of the building was bored and gruff as he drove them from the shadows. Typically insolent, thought Benjamin. Enforcing property seizures didn't hold much appeal and probably even less glory for a soldier. Benjamin gathered up her sacks and led his sobbing mother supporting her by the elbow. They followed the head of their household away from the only home Benjamin had ever known. The night air was getting colder, stirring Benjamin from his bitter reverie. He looked back up at the omen above, dead center in the constellation of the ram, the center of Israel's heavenly home. The dark tears began to flow. The converging transits of these strange stars looked almost complete. The three were one star now, and shockingly brighter. Benjamin couldn't bear to look at it for long. 
he shifted back to the cruel narrative playing in his head. Issachar left his wife with friends at the gates of Bethlehem. Out he marched, leading the ewes that the lamb would follow. Benjamin caught up, taking one lead, the two sheep between them now. His father quickly resumed the story Benjamin had heard every time they made this journey, this time tinged with a fury. Understandable. Benjamin felt the same way. You have as much right as any of those so-called priests up that mountain, Benjamin. Aaron's blood flows in your veins, you know. For the umpteenth time, Issachar recited the family legend, how a Levite priest lost his virgin daughter to marauding Benjamites at Shiloh, how she became the founding mother of one of Benjamin's greatest clans, how David's line and theirs had mingled over the centuries. Benjamin was sure it was nothing more than a legend, still marveling at his father's pride in it. This time there's no denying our sacrifice, Benjamin. This lamb is the one, the perfect lamb. Benjamin began to take in the seriousness of his father's determination. This lamb would soon bleed for his family's sins. Like no year in recent memory, this year's lamb was indisputably perfect. The money changers were not stealing this one. One of those inferior rejects in the dying pens was not going to be forcibly traded with their own specimen. The lamb itself seemed determined to make it all the way to the holy mountain. It remained silent amid the bleeding of other animals being led to their own slaughters. Together, the young man and his father led the ewe and her lamb up the many conflicting inclines. They passed by all the animal traders trying to select out the best animals and offer back, quote, certified temple sacrifices. Turtle loves with broken feathers for perfectly healthy sheep. But they came with the all-important papers. Inferior gifts with the lies of men attached. But they got you in the door. Issachar marched right past all of them. Benjamin hesitated at the great steps. His father marched right on. The Romans guarding the steps dropped their spears and brought him to a halt, as expected. In that booming voice of his, Issachar demanded, and loudly, Fetch the inspecting priest! This one stands for us! He looked down at the lamb, now showing white in the sun against the tan steps. Its tall stature and fine legs stood above all the others being shoved along to the right through the checkpoint marked Certified Offerings. He's on break, the guard laughed back. The other guard apparently thought the man was a comedian. All the animals to the right. This entrance for visitors only. People, if you Jews can be called that. Issachar didn't budge. He repeated the demand. The line was beginning to back up. Complaints from behind began to build. The large man and his lamb completely blocked the path between the guards. Benjamin grew nervous. That's enough nonsense, Jews. Step aside and find the money changers. They'll take care of you. The guard sounded reasonable enough for a Roman. He glanced at that lamb. He knew a fine specimen as well as the next man. Too bad this big shepherd would lose it, but that's just the way it was. Maybe the soldier would find it later for his own dinner. Fetch that lazy priest and I'll be on my way! Issachar's voice had deepened. The guard, of course, wasn't about to permit a threat, but he was feeling magnanimous today. He smirked and half-heartedly nodded his head sideways. The other guard stepped off around the corner. Two temple guards appeared on the steps above the Romans, trying to avoid their shadows. They were not happy. So, where's the robe who will inspect my offering? Issachar hollered up at the new temple protectors. In that line, they replied, jabbing their spears toward the money changers, the contractors, the ones who had bribed their way into the pockets of both the Romans and the temple bureaucracy. 
the ones who held the blood money till it could be washed in the bins of Egyptian traders, till the money could come back up from Egypt, liberated. No, thundered the proud Benjamite. This lamb comes from the pastures of David himself. It meets every requirement. It goes to the high priests. It will stand for us in the holies. Just move it over there, Mr. Holly, the man behind Benjamin. He reached up to grab Issachar's sleeve, pulling harder than he intended. Issachar's right sandal slipped down a step, forcing him off balance. He overreacted, pulled back, and fell up the steps, right into the Roman guards. The temple guards rushed down the steps to join the fray, forgetting those Roman shadows. Issachar tried to force his way past the centurions, dragging both tethers and the attached animals with him. The Romans kept their balance and poised to strike. No! Benjamin's father bellowed as the butt of a Roman spear came crashing down at the base of his skull. He died instantly. Benjamin rushed up to his father and received the backswing of the same spear, full in the mouth. He stumbled back, spitting out a tooth. He was more stunned by the blow to his father, the sickening crunch still echoing in his own head. He found the two leather leads in his hand. He didn't know what to do. His father's dilated eye stared back at him from that tan step. Grab that one, yelled one of the temple guards further up. Benjamin was about to lose the innocent sacrifice or his life. Probably both. An old prophet stepped through the mess, grabbing both the leads and Benjamin's elbow with an iron grip. Simeon, that ancient little man who prophesied daily in the temple. Come, son, before they seize you all! He was short enough that the lamb's nose almost touched his chin. This one is fine indeed, but he's not worth your life! Benjamin stumbled along, reaching back for his father, but the crowd had already filled the hole, obscuring his view. A familiar face from Bethlehem rushed past him, a cousin. He pushed past Benjamin through the crowd, calling Issachar's name. The little prophet rushed sideways to an ignored door hardly bigger than himself, pushing through briskly. The true lamb is coming soon! I've been promised! spoke Simeon with an almost wild intensity. He led, or drug, Benjamin on. His grip was astounding for his size. The old man is speaking nonsense, thought Benjamin, but what good are thoughts at a time like this? Benjamin's father was gone. In his stupor, Benjamin didn't know how far he was led. He didn't recognize the street. The prophet's elbow burst open a little gate. They were suddenly in full sun, outside the old Jerusalem walls, beyond the noise and tumult. The light blinding Benjamin, his rage welled up, and he shook off the little man's grip. Settle, my son. Go now. Take your gift. You have already given your best. The old man himself seemed on the verge of tears now. Benjamin's eyes unleashed like a faucet. They both felt the bitter irony. The lead to the lamb and its ewe went limp as Benjamin sunk to his knees. The animals just stood confused. Hold fast, young man! An even better gift is coming! One to save us all! Go! He pointed at the path that led down to a lower ledge. Beyond, Benjamin could see familiar rills and the colors of Bethlehem's palms. At least he thought so. It was impossible to see clearly through the blizzard of tears and pain. For miles, his feet plodded the two sheep following obediently. What had changed in the months since? Nothing. The Romans had just gotten more severe in pursuit of their ridiculous census. Benjamin looked up again at the omen's star. 
If God wanted our best, he got it. My father's dead. Benjamin spat out the words, the strange whistle of his missing tooth making a mockery of his anger. His father was the believer. Benjamin was done with it. Is that what you wanted, you omen? To devour the only one in my family who really believed? Who died for your precious sacrifice? His blood ran in the streets of Jerusalem because of you! You're certainly not going to do anything about it. You don't even care about us. You don't even hear! Benjamin waved off the deaf heavens and the penetrating eye. The sheep below began to stir, bothered by their shepherd's outbursts. He lowered to a whisper, just as fierce, and focused on that forbidding beacon in the sky. Has the world gone completely mad? The wicked rich eating the poor for lunch. Believers suckered and exploited to death. Your people! Foreigners picking over their carcasses. Is that the way you wanted it? Is this the way it will always be? A sick joke? All of us idiots for hoping, for wanting a little peace? Well, is it? A sky beam pushed its way down to earth from that omen star, landing on the hill above Benjamin. He sucked in his breath from a new, indescribable fear. And then the sky exploded. Ripping down in watery torrents of light, thunderous feet slammed into the ground around him. Pillars of fire reached up three whole cubits to blazing faces of flame. A voice shook loose Benjamin's heart and mind. One of the furnace bronze heads faced him. Gravity pulled all points of Benjamin down to the rocky soil. Don't be afraid. This is good news. Joy for the whole world. The Savior, the One, has arrived. Right here, in Davistown, the Liberator has come. He will rule. Look for this. A child lying in the manger, wrapped in rags. Suddenly, the force of thousands of these angelic heralds crowded the very atmosphere. Their legions shouted louder than any earthly choir, temple shofar, or gong. Great is God! Higher than the highest of heavens! His peace is now wherever he gazes his eye. The air was heavy, flowery, liquid, unbreathable. The thousands of voices around him lifted from the earth, rushing back up to the heavens. Benjamin gasped for breath. He leapt to his feet and rushed, blinking back to the campfire. All the others were rising from their own slayings, too. The vision was the same. The image of the baby was the same. They all went at once, and Benjamin knew exactly where to look. The cave of his boyhood. The stable of his family animals. The cleft in the rock. The hiding place of his childhood games. And here was a wiry man holding a torch up above the manger. Half his frock was missing. A ragged tear for a seam below his waist. An exhausted young woman was leaning against the rough wood, stroking the baby's head. The child's body bound in strips of his own father's shirt, with extra soft cotton sticking out from the windings. The men in the field knelt outside the entrance. The man left his woman's side to approach them. "'We've heard great things about this child,' one of the older shepherds said to the man. "'So have I,' he replied." Slowly, each man made a cautious approach. Benjamin last. 
Here the smells of his past welled up and overwhelmed him. The hay, of course. The moss on moist rocks at the rear of the cave. The soft dust of centuries. The cold didn't stop at the entrance of the cave. Benjamin saw a little shudder come over the underdressed man. Benjamin removed his own cloak, shook out the dew, and placed it around his shoulders. The man nodded his thanks, removed it, and placed it around his wife. She was too much in rapture to notice. The other men left erupting into excited discussion as they headed up the path toward town. Benjamin turned to follow them. Then he heard the baby stir, opening its eyes. Innocence looked up at Benjamin and transfixed him. He was suddenly overcome with the words of that strange temple prophet and the angels. A peace he could not comprehend softened him. His resistance melted. Here was something, someone, beyond value, and deserving of so much more than this cave. If only they had a few animals to warm them, Benjamin thought. And then it hit him. He walked a mile back to his flock and found the ewe with its almost weaned lamb. His father's pride and joy, Issachar's great hope. Benjamin led the animals back to the cave. The lamb, beginning to take his own grass, nuzzled and nibbled at the manger. The baby touched his black nose, and it jumped a little. Not in fright, but almost playful surprise. Benjamin gently led them to the side of the manger where the man sat huddled on the hard ground, the stick pack of his donkey behind him. The two sheep settled down next to him, sharing their warmth. Neither of the new parents would sleep much that night, Benjamin knew. But they would have enough warmth to survive. And they were a family. They would have enough. They would have each other. Benjamin went his way, convinced that in some fashion his father's ambition had been achieved. Even though this lamb wouldn't shed its blood, he went his way rejoicing and hardly knowing why. honey, that story is such an emotional story to listen to and to even read through. The whole idea of how personal God was with Benjamin, Hmm. experiencing this great loss. And we see him go through all of these transitions of grief and the shock of it when he loses his father in the temple. We call it the year of firsts. Exactly. And then we see him go through the anger of it Mm. and the sorrow of it and then the numbness, I guess, of it. And imagine a shepherd sitting on top of a hill in the middle of the night. You're going to go over all the stuff that your mind's thinking Mm -hmm. of and remembering. Mm -hmm. You can't avoid your own memories. Mm -hmm. And that's the condition, the state he's in before this miraculous happening happens. Right, right. But of course, it's not the first miracle that's happened in his life. Everything that led up to this moment has been a miracle in progress. Mm -hmm. Well, we see that when the prophet grabs him by the hand to Mm -hmm. lead him out of the temple. I know that you're referring to Simeon, Mm -hmm. and I just want to tell our listeners that that is also part of Luke chapter 2. If you just keep reading past what we talked about earlier, you'll read the story of Jesus being presented to Simeon in the temple. To sum up what this particular story is about, we are fully aware of what our country, the world is facing right now in the sense of overwhelming loss Mm -hmm. that sometimes you can't put a finger on. When the story was written... COVID was nowhere to be seen. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think it more appropriate than ever that the irony of facing this beautiful gift, this young child, this miracle happening, and all of heaven proclaiming the beauty of it and how much it's worthy of worship. 
Mm-hmm. Benjamin's going through all the things that the world right now is going yes. through. There are plenty of mixed emotions going on for so many people this time of year. I don't want to get away from acknowledging that fact. In encountering Jesus at the worst times of our life, something special can happen because we find ourselves in a place of being able to do something for God that no one else can do. Benjamin is that guy in this story. He can do something special because God has given him something special to give. Mm-hmm. And now he finally has the opportunity to make his sacrifice to the Lamb. Mm. I think it's very significant that this is the third week of Advent and that it represents joy in the lighting yeah. of the pink candle. Joy is an ongoing process yeah. in my life. Scripture tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I do want to emphasize that it is important to choose joy over despair. I don't think that joy and sadness go hand in hand because we can be sad and still experience complete joy in the Lord. Joy is the opposite of despair. Think about joy as an ongoing process that we walk through, an ongoing way that we live every day. Friends, we wish you joy this third week of the Advent season. Now, as we head into this most important giving season, I hope you'll take to heart this important truth. Compassion Radio has always been a collaborative venture. If you'll give generously and bravely, we'll be able to complete our faith goals and to end the year where we need it to be, financially able to begin the new year right without any outstanding debts. Your gift today is vitally important. Our toll-free phone number is one 800 868 Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And our website is, simply enough, CompassionRadio.com. We are deeply grateful for the support.